0: three 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 one nine three three online at my
1: Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg, editor of The Herald-Times, along with my co-host, Mary Catherine Carmichael. Today we're going to talk about uh, the, the shape of Indiana's waterways. We have three guests with us joining us in the studio. Elizabeth Tompkins is here. She's Natural Resources Coordinator for the City of Bloomington Parks and Recreation Department. Fallon French is with us. She is Water Policy Associate at the Hoosier Environmental Council. And Bruno Pigott is here. He is the Assistant Commissioner of the Office of Water Quality at the Indiana Department of Environmental Management. If you want to join us on the program, you can call us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. And the web address is wfiu.org slash noon edition. Thank you all for being here. Welcome to the program. Hi, Bob. Yeah, this is uh, it's nice and hot out there. So everybody's thinking about waterways in Indiana, yeah. the, the lakes, the streams, the... The uh, rivers. So, I guess we should just start out with that big global question. I know there have been some uh, studies out. Uh, really, consistently, there have been studies out that show uh, some um, environmental degradation. I guess we could say to Indiana's waterways. So, I guess I want to give you two, uh, Bruno and Fallon, the first shot at saying how serious is this problem? How concerned should Hoosiers be? Fallon, let's start with you.
2: Um, I I would say that we should be concerned about the condition of our waterways. There are a lot of places where people don't have adequate access to clean drinking water. Um, There are lots of places where there are drought conditions, even here in Indiana. So I think that water should be a big concern for pretty much everyone not just because of recreation, but also because it supplies a lot of drinking water to our cities. Mm-hmm. So I think it's definitely one of those issues that I would like people to have at the forefront of their mind. And
1: how mm-hmm. how serious, I mean, some of these reports that we've had recently talk about mercury contamination. I know, you know, we being in Bloomington, we're all very familiar with PCBs and, and the issues that PCBs can, can, uh, can cause. So how, you know, how, how serious is this issue with, with those kind of contamination?
2: Um, I think that I wouldn't say that people should be afraid to touch the water. I definitely would not recommend walking up to a lake or a river and drinking out of it. And I would say if you want to eat fish, if you do enjoy fishing and you want to eat fish from Indiana, make sure that you're checking the local fish advisories because most of the lakes here in Monroe County do have issues with contaminated fish tissue, fish that are contaminated with mercury specifically. Um, I know that Monroe is also having issues with algae and taste and odor off of the uh, 2012 impaired waters list. Mm -hmm. So mercury is an issue, nutrients in the waterways, and algae is an issue. And it's something that people should be aware of. But don't let that stop you from going out and having a good time.
3: Okay. Bruno? You well, I, I'd that? agree that um, I wouldn't let um, concerns about waterways let you get out and, and enjoy our waters. In some ways, I, I'm a really uh, glass-half-full kind of guy, um, to use a bad water analogy. <laughs> um, yeah. our, our drinking our, – our waterways are – undeniably substantially cleaner today than they were at the inception of the Clean Water Act. We have advanced wastewater treatment plants around the state of Indiana, across the United States. Um, We've made great progress in ensuring our waterways are cleaner, Um, but um, we still face challenges. Uh, The PCBs that you mentioned are still challenges before us. Mercury um, is a challenge that we face. algal growth nutrient adding are challenges. But let's make no mistake, our waterways are substantially cleaner than they were in 1972 at the inception of the um, uh, Environmental Protection Agency. Okay.
1: I want to bring Elizabeth in. We're going to sort of localize this uh, for just a minute or two about the city's uh, lakes, Griffey in particular, there's some uh, activity going on out there. You're draining the lake, right?
4: Yes. Mm -hmm. We actually don't have a lot of water to be concerned about right now. With the (laughs) drought-like conditions, the water levels are receding quickly. And there are plans to drain the lake later this summer to make repairs to the dam. The utilities department is in charge of those repairs. And they don't have a Firm schedule yet, but tentatively it's planned for mid-July for that drawdown to begin happening. Mm -hmm. And then work is planned to begin in September. It will continue through 2013, so we will not have operations at Griffey Lake as far as the boathouse is concerned, so if you are interested in enjoying the lake, now is the time to do it. <laughs> for, for,
1: those, for those people who don't live around here, could you talk about the, the size of the lake and what kind of activity goes on there?
4: Yes, it is a 109-acre lake, so it's relatively small for our lakes here in Indiana. It is a backup water supply for the city of Bloomington, and that's why the dam repairs are important to maintain that dam area so that it can be maintained as a water supply.
1: Okay, now I want to the things that a lot of uh, a lot of us who care about fish and all those other critters wonder is what happens to them when you drain a lake
4: well we imagine that many of them will go over the dam and mm-hmm. flow downstream there will definitely be some that are left behind unfortunately we have a great ecosystem at griffey lake I expect that there will be lots of happy birds to uh, clean up the remaining fish that are there. The raccoons are going (laughs) to think they've died and
0: gone to heaven. This is the easiest summer ever. We,
4: (laughs) We do have plans, though, to build some refuges, and we're looking into possibilities of that to see what we can do to put some to keep some water spaces available for things like turtles that would would be left there
0: Yeah, would you move a turtle or something to, to another um, uh, wetland
4: area that is a conversation that we need to have um, with other experts in this area mm-hmm. to see what the issues might be with moving animals from lake to right. lake but everything is on the table right now and we're we're looking at possibilities Interesting.
1: All right. Our phone numbers again, 855 uh, one 1-877-285-9348. The web address is org slash noon edition. Uh, let's go back to talking about some of the some grander, I guess, uh, problems and concerns about our Our waterways in the state. Um, Let's talk about vegetation a little bit. I know invasive species has been an issue at Griffey and other lakes, I think Lake Lemon uh, around our area. Um, How significant a problem are invasive species in Indiana's waterways?
3: Well, I can comment a little bit about the work that's going on. Of course, invasive species like the zebra mussel have Mm -hmm. been long uh, problems, not um, just in one area, but throughout the country. Um, In the Great Lakes, it's a very big concern because the existence of zebra mussels has helped to... Um, take away some of the food sources for um, some of the food populations in in the Great Lakes, which has made it much harder for some of the fish to survive. So that's been one issue of concern. Another invasive species that everybody has heard about are those silver carp from Asia, the Asian carp. And they've been slowly moving their way up um, the Mississippi River and are making their way up. Uh, the shipping uh, canal in um, Illinois toward Lake Michigan. And the federal government and the states of Illinois and Indiana and uh, other states have been really working to figure out ways to impede that progress, Mm -hmm. to make sure that our waterways don't just get filled up with these uh, carp. And anybody who's watched Mm -hmm. a YouTube video uh, can see the These enormous fish that are jumping out of our waters, and um, they're ravenous. They consume a lot of the other fish species in um, our waterways. So, keeping them out of the Great Lakes has become a a top priority. Um, I know that EPA's work to establish a a fishery so that people can um, fish those um, fish and um, that we send them to markets in China, that they're putting in an enormous electric fence. Um, There's just a lot of work. Um, and those are just two of the most visible invasive species. There are a whole host of others. Um, and the the growth of plant life in our waterways has become a really big concern. Um, I know that a lot of people who recreate in our um, waterways, especially our lakes, um, have heard of the existence of algal blooms and uh, something called blue-green algae. Um, what happens is that nutrients such as phosphorus and nitrogen enter our waterways from a variety of sources, from agricultural land, from municipalities, from ourselves, frankly, when we fertilize our lawns with Mm -hmm. phosphorus-filled fertilizer. And they go in once it rains, and we put that fertilizer on the ground— Um, And it washes off into our storm drains. It goes to our rivers, creeks, and streams. And it helps um, plant life grow, but not the plant life we meant it Mm -hmm. (laughs) to help grow. It helps the plants in our waterways, and they choke choke off the oxygen supplies, make it a lot harder for aquatic life to exist. And promote the growth of the very algae that is harmful, not only to aquatic life, but also to recreational users of our lake. I'm sure you've heard of stories of people getting uh, rashes in some lakes, and Mm -hmm. and some of that can be from um, these uh, blue-green algae. Mm -hmm. So that's a a big concern, and we've been working to address that. And I know that uh, environmental groups like uh, the Hoosier Environmental Council have been working pretty hard to educate people. We on the regulatory side have been working both to do research, but also we're putting in place water quality standards for lakes regarding phosphorus.
0: Now, does the summer that we're having right now, which is really very little rain, um, temperatures that although the paper tells me it's not so seem hotter than, than usual. Um, Is that situation setting our waterways up for special challenges? I I would think that with less fresh water coming in from the sky that things would not get uh, diluted and that might concentrate things. Is that correct?
3: It it certainly is a possible uh, promotional thing regarding um, the growth of algae in our waters. The one thing we've learned about the growth of blue-green algae and these other algaes is that it's a very complex formula in terms of what promotes the growth. Certainly, we know nutrient additions to our waterways are part of it, but uh, levels of the water, the depth of the water mm-hmm. can be one of those features that promotes the growth of algae in our waterways. So one could say that, yeah, that could be a contributing factor.
2: I've also heard that the temperature in the water has a big impact on algae blooms, so having a very warm winter um i live in lafayette so i don't know how it was for you in bloomington but we would get a couple of inches of snow and it would melt right mm-hmm. away the next day mm-hmm. so without the the usual temperature in the water i think that we're also seeing algae blooms a lot earlier in the season this year just because of that warm winter we had
1: and bruno mentioned your uh, educational uh, efforts uh, from your yes. environmental council can you explain a little bit more about those
2: well, um, we do quite a bit um, on a multitude of different levels. Most of our efforts from January until March went into trying to pass a, a ban on phosphorus in lawn fertilizers. And I shouldn't say ban. It was more of a restricted use bill. And most of, most of the people out there don't realize that there is an issue with phosphorus in the waterways. They see the algae. They hear about nutrients. But nobody thinks of nutrients as something that should be bad. That should be something good. Mm-hmm. So the bill is about creating educational opportunities and making sure that people have an option when they go to the store. Um, know that they actually have uh, a phosphorus-free fertilizer right there and have information on how to use it properly. We also have um, a volunteer network that goes out to monitor nutrients in waterways, monitor um, you know, some of the different nitrates, phosphorus levels, all of those things, and look at the health of the streams. And people can find more information at hoosierwaterwarrior.org if they're interested in volunteering. But those are just a couple of the things that we do. We also have a lot of educational materials out there, like a lot of different nonprofit groups mm-hmm.
0: this is i'm having a flashback to our show last week this sounds like something Lynn Ostrom would sure, you know this yeah. is something mm-hmm. that you know each of us yeah. can read that label and see okay is yeah. this is this going to contribute to the problem or is it going to help stop right. it so. and,
3: and it's clear that um, homeowners and people it, this isn't just an issue that somebody else needs to take care of we all can make progress toward mm-hmm. cleaning our waterways by getting involved looking at that label, trying to figure out, is this does this have phosphorus in it? If so, maybe I go for the phosphorus-free fertilizer, mm-hmm.
2: and, and it's a real difference. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, I mean, there are so many different places where phosphorus enters our waterways. Um, you know, we talk about finding a silver bullet to to kill a problem, and phosphorus is one of those issues where there's just no way we could ever— Get rid of the issue by just treating one part of the problem. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. looking at agriculture and some of the the water inputs that are coming from stormwater off of ag fields is also a really good indicator of how much phosphorus is entering our waterways that we really can't track. So even just buying local food, buying sustainably grown food mm-hmm. uh, will help to to lessen that impact on our water.
0: Elizabeth, is this something that you're encouraging the city of Bloomington to look at um, as far as, you know, their use or how they're using chemicals and and how that will impact the, the water ways that you're so concerned about?
4: It is not um, necessarily a part of my job to Know what's happening with the landscaping people, Mm -hmm. so that would be better asked to someone else. But I can say that we do a lot of outreach education, and the stormwater environmental education team here in Bloomington, which is full of partners all around Mm -hmm. the Bloomington and Monroe County community, we are working to do just that and educate people that they their impact on their little square of land can be significant. And even if they're not living right next to a lake, that doesn't mean that their water is not going to end up in a lake Mm -hmm. or a stream. All of our storm grates here in Bloomington on the street, you can probably see them marked with either in the metal or a little sticker on the side dump no waste, drains to stream. So Mm -hmm. even water coming off of your lawn that's containing that fertilizer that you put on, maybe you over-fertilized a little bit accidentally, um, is going to eventually end up right in a stream without being treated. I think that's a common misconception that that water goes somewhere like our wastewater does, but it goes right into our streams. That's a
0: great segue. And I wanted to ask um, about, as a state, how are we doing on um, dealing with excess stormwater runoff I know that you know that's something that is traditionally if there's too much it just goes right uh, untreated into the stream and that's something I think there's a mandate yes to, to deal with that how give us a grade how are we doing are we making progress
3: well um, I, I hesitate to give us a grade I, I will say that um, there's been uh, recognition um, uh, across the nation, that as we've grown and developed, as we put in parking lots and buildings, as we've built more houses and reduced the amount of green space, that has led to the quicker movement of water from our parking lots, which have oil in them, and from our uh, businesses and our factories directly to waterways. So um, there there are requirements now, federal and state requirements, that say every Community, every what they call an MS4 community, municipal storm sewer separate uh, community, has to develop plans that will address um, that, that will educate people, that will involve the public, that will identify where there are illicit discharges to waterways, mm-hmm. and will work to reduce the stormwater runoff, including what a lot of people are calling green infrastructure. And when when you talk about green infrastructure, sometimes it's hard to get your mind around what that means. But if I think about a parking lot, I might think about putting in pavement that is considered porous. So instead of the water running off the pavement, it goes right into the pavement and into the ground and maybe into a holding tank under that. And while communities haven't rushed to do that, what they are doing, it's beginning to pick up speed. Communities around the state are starting to recognize that there are real benefits to their community, both from a stormwater water quality perspective, but also in terms of treating their wastewater Mm -hmm. into this green infrastructure. And you'll see in... Um, Indianapolis, for example, the um, uh, construction of what they call rain gardens. um, They actually narrow the streets down, and they'll put in a low um, garden area that drain, when when it rains, the water drains off into that area instead of going into the streets into the drains. Mm -hmm. The goal is to reduce the amount of water that comes from stormwater directly into our drains Mm -hmm. and, in some communities, directly to the wastewater treatment plant.
0: Elizabeth, is
4: Miller Showers
0: Mm -hmm. Park an example of this kind of treatment?
4: It is an excellent example of this kind of treatment, yeah. It has three detention ponds. It's on the north side of Bloomington and in between College and Walnut, and three detention ponds that I believe 100-and-some acres of land drain to that area, and it is a natural filtration system. Mm-hmm. So it holds the water and lets particles settle out and runs through vegetation as well, kind of a natural, naturalized process of treating that stormwater runoff. And uh, you mentioned our MS4. We recently received our audit, which is really the – Job of the utilities department, so I don't know all the specifics, but I do know I did hear that we received very positive feedback for our efforts in in just that that education and outreach part of that program.
1: Mm -hmm. Miller Showers, I'm glad you brought that up because it's one of the more misunderstood uh, parks, I'd say, in in Bloomington because it's it really is a a, a collaborative effort between the Parks Department, Utilities Board, and it has various purposes, so, and it's been kind of controversial.
3: That's the beauty of the green infrastructure um, things. that they, they serve oftentimes more than one purpose. Mm-hmm. They can provide green space for parkland at the same time that they're a place for water to run off that doesn't go directly to mm-hmm. our streams. And and there 's also an economic benefit to the community. any water that gets into your wastewater treatment plant, it costs a lot of money to clean that up and send it back into our streams. If you prevent it from getting there in the first place, you save the money that you would have to spend to clean it up so okay. there 's a real economic benefit as well as an environmental benefit.
0: but you have to be willing to take the long view because Miller showers Park was not an inexpensive construction project and it took place mm-hmm. over several years and you know there was a lot of upheaval that went into that. And I think Bob made a good mm-hmm. point in that it is still kind of a misunderstood uh, structure, even with people who live in the community and and watched right. the process. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure for other communities that's also a challenge, you know, to get over. And there's a big educational process. So I hope we're part of that today.
1: I hope so. Let's, let's we have a phone call. We okay, have two great. phone calls. Great. So let's get them. Let's go to Stan first. Stan, go ahead.
5: Hi, um, I just tuned in, so I may have missed uh, a discussion on this, but I have the impression that a significant part of the pollution. Is coming from uh, smokestacks, and I would assume that that 's in the hands of the legislature and it 's big money and i don 't know where that stands
1: yeah, I think uh, coal would probably be one of the major pollutants so found
2: uh, yes, it is. Um, we have a lot of reports out there that are saying not only is the process of coal burning. A primary source of mercury contamination, but that it's also a local source. There was a report that just came out of IUPUI that actually looked at the fingerprints on the mercury and tracked it back to Marion County power plants. So it's often a very local source. Um, Mercury is one of those issues that we have tried to deal with, but it it has been a real challenge. Um, A lot of people don't understand how Coal burning impacts our waterways necessarily. Mm-hmm. but
1: Can you give us a real brief explanation?
2: Sure. Um, I'm not a scientist, so you might have to go to Bruno for some of the details. But when the mercury is emitted along with everything else, it settles to the ground, um, settles on top of the water. And when it, when it actually mingles with the water, then a chemical process can turn it into, is it methylmercury? And methylmercury is the one that actually starts building up in fish. Mm-hmm. So at first there will be very small amounts in the very small fish. And then as you move up the food chain and get to the more predatory fish, which unfortunately are the ones that we like to eat, the mercury builds up. Mm-hmm. And as long as there are continuous inputs of mercury, even if they're small, you're going to see a situation where the fish tissue mercury amounts are going to continue to rise. Mm-hmm. And that's considered a heavy metal, yes? Okay. It is. Um, there is... a uh, well, I should say there was a bill in, this, in the, um, the U.S. Senate that would have taken away the ability of EPA to regulate mercury. Back in December of 2011, uh, the EPA finally came out with new rules that were going to reduce mercury emissions by 90 percent. And here in Indiana, that would drop us from emitting more than 2,000 pounds of mercury every year down to 750 pounds. Mm -hmm. So a substantial mercury reduction. And this bill would have taken away the EPA authority. It would have overturned that rule. And luckily, it was defeated. So um, our waterways will be getting a little bit of a break from mercury, assuming that we can keep those rules strong and we can actually get them promulgated and start enforcing them.
1: All right. Stan, thank you very much. All right. Uh, We're going to go take one more call before we take a a short break. So Valerie's on the line. Valerie?
6: Um, Yeah, this might be a little bit off the topic, but I live in Owen County, and I recently saw something in the Spencer paper where the commissioners had approved some company to do some mapping of some sort in Owen County regarding underground gas uh, reserves. Now, is, is Indiana a candidate for, you know, the the common term is fracking, and if that's the case, I mean, is this going to become an issue in terms of groundwater pollution in Indiana?
1: Bruno, you want to?
3: I I must say that um, fracking is not an issue that our department is is dealing with. Can you explain Um, what that is? Fracking is the process of uh, removing... Um, natural gas from deposits that are naturally occurring in the um, rock underneath the ground. And it's become a really big issue in states like New York and Pennsylvania, where this process has produced a lot of natural gas, um, and it's also raised a lot of concerns about whether or not the process is influencing or hurting or or, or introducing some sort of contaminants into our drinking, to, to the drinking water there. And people are are, are somewhat concerned about it. Um, our department doesn't deal with that as much as our Department of Natural Resources regulates that. So I want to say that up front and, and be clear that that's not our area of focus. Um, I will also say that it's not a very large portion of what's going on um, in the state of Indiana, but the popularity of fracking uh, further east of us seems to be moving slowly to the west, and it's it's possible that their uh, companies would look for opportunities to extract natural gas from the rock um, in a, a shale reserves, even in Indiana. We don't have the biggest in the world, but um, we, we do have some. So it's possible. And, and I also want to say that um, there have been studies done by US EPA about uh, contamination of drinking water sources from... Um, the fracking activities, and results are a little bit inconclusive. Some have indicated that it seems that in some places they, they may have seen some of that. In other places, there people are saying, uh, no, we, we don't see it. Um, no matter what you do, when you go and punch a hole into the ground and dig a well, if you don't do it properly, if you don't encase it and protect it from the elements that you're pulling out, There's always that potential. The goal would be to make sure you properly regulate that activity to ensure that Mm -hmm. if it's done, it's done in ways that protect our drinking water sources. Because, after all, that is my job. Um, It's to ensure that our drinking water is clean and safe for Hoosiers. So Mm -hmm. that's something we'd look to uh, ensure it was happening if if it became a big activity here.
2: Well, and you mentioned regulations. Uh, The Indiana legislator just passed a bill that actually requires uh, the disclosure of all of those chemicals that are used in hydraulic fracturing. Um, There have been instances, not in Indiana that I know of, but there have been instances in other states where there was pretty serious um, contamination of water. I believe it was methane in Ohio Mm -hmm. that raised a lot of concern, but I haven't seen any studies that doesn't mean that it hasn't happened but i haven't seen anything about that and we are moving in the right direction by passing these kinds of bills um obviously we would like to see more protections in place and i think as the issue continues to grow in people's minds we are going to be seeing more legislation that would protect our our water quality
1: all right valerie thanks for calling we are talking about water indiana's waterways today on noon edition we're going to take a short break we'll be right back
7: This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville. Information at smithville.net and from Premier Ortho, online at mypremierortho.com. You can take WFIU with you by downloading podcasts directly to your PC, Mac, or MP3 player. Programs such as Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, and short features like Kinsey Confidential, The Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, and Play and Opera reviews are all available on demand. Pick them up at wfiu.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? The WFIU news team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting South Central Indiana. Catch the Friday feature just after 8:30 during morning edition, just before noon edition, and at 5:45 during All Things Considered. They're also archived on our website, WFIU.org.
1: Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from The Herald Times along with Mary Catherine Carmichael. Today we're talking about Indiana's waterways and the uh, progress we're making to cleaning them up. Uh, We have three guests in the studio. Bruno Pigott is here with us. He's with the Indiana Department of Environmental Management. The assistant commissioner of, of in the office of water quality, Fallon French is a water policy advocate with the Hoosier Environmental Council, and Elizabeth Tompkins is here. Elizabeth is natural resources coordinator for the City of Bloomington's Park and Recreation Department. So, yeah, right, right uh, before the break, we were talking about you know the uh, various impacts of of energy of of all sorts of the natural the resources that we have co- using coal and using other. Other uh, things in the state, but uh, you were talking Bruno about how there, there's an there's some sort of um, reaction to pretty much anything we do environmentally. And,
3: yeah, and, and it's not to say that the reaction that people have about or concern. I mean, I think that's probably the better word. Um, people hear about negative environmental consequences from activities, and and they raise concerns, and you can't fault people for doing that. Um, What I think we need to do is when we um, are understanding our mix of energy sources, we have in the state alone, we have uh, wind power up in um, northwest Indiana. You can see it driving up I-65. We have coal mining activities, and we have power plants that burn coal. And we were just talking about fracking. It's to understand that each of these different processes have... I would call them side effects that um, raise environmental concerns. And the key thing to do is to figure out how can we address those concerns in a way that is um, effective. The challenge with the power plants that we talked about is – um, as one of the callers said, they emit smoke that has mercury in it. Well, what are we going to do about it? In Indiana, we're, um, any of the new permits that's being put out for those um, facilities are having requirements that they have to install what they call flue gas desulfurization units. They're, those are scrubbers that scrub all the mercury out before it gets in the air. But guess what happens to that mercury? Well, it goes into our waterways. So then what we do is we try to figure out what kind of regulations can we put in place to address the mercury that's coming from that smokestack instead of going out into the air into our waterways. And we in, we've investigated techniques for sampling it to identify mercury to uh, a, an incredibly small amount. Um, and then we require those facilities to put in place treatments that will get rid of um, the overwhelming majority of it. Um, And the same is true with the fracking and any of the other activities that we do in terms of meeting our energy needs. We need to ensure that we put in place appropriate measures. In Indiana, with the power plants we've got, we've reduced mercury emissions by over half since 2002. And so we've, we've made some great progress with these new Units that scrub these things, we're going to reduce it even more, we expect, by 64% by 2017. Is it enough? You can argue that. It's very complex. It's a very difficult issue. And together, we have to work to, to tackle it. Mm-hmm.
2: And I'm really glad to hear that you're working on the scrubbers and you're working on advanced treatment to make sure that we are limiting the mercury. Um, On the side of the environmentalists, mercury is a really big concern for us, um, especially because Indiana is so coal-intensive. We get anywhere from 94 to 97% of all of our electricity from coal in the state. And we've done surveys. um, I believe it was the USGS and IDEM that concluded that one in eight fish in Indiana has been contaminated with excessive levels of mercury. So it's one of those things where... We really do need to be looking at a lot of different sources of energy and what impact they have. Uh, The Hoosier Environmental Council really looks at mercury and at coal and says, "Okay, we need to start diversifying beyond these polluting technologies. And we do understand that there are always impacts with different energy sources, but we really can't move backwards to a point where we don't have electricity. So we're looking for ones that will have a much smaller impact. We've pushed for a renewable portfolio standard, and we did have a voluntary standard passed uh, by the Indiana legislature, which we would love to see strengthened if anybody wants to talk to their state legislators about that. We've gotten improved net metering rules. We've improved the energy efficiency codes in the buildings. And all of these are little pieces to the puzzle to tackling our energy challenges and how that impacts our air and our water and just the health of our communities. Mm-hmm.
1: Let me give our phone numbers again, eight five five zero eight one one in Bloomington, 877-285-9348 from outside of the Bloomington area. And the web address is org slash noon edition. We do have a phone call, and it's from Joe from Bloomington. Joe?
5: Yes, I was wondering, you addressed the issue of the little guy polluting and the coal companies. But what about the uh, Indianapolis area where they have persistent and constant problems with polluters uh, from a variety of materials, not only mercury, but I remember one time where they closed the river because somebody dumped a bunch of battery acid into it so oh, for acid or whatever, and they're always getting these meager fines, like token fines. It'd be like uh, the average guy running a stop sign getting a dollar fine. They they have these huge shutdowns of the river, and then they barely get fined. So could the guy from Indiana... Um, EPA addressed the issue of uh, the fine structure and maybe the other toxins that are released into the waterways that are not at the highest level of the coal thing?
1: Yeah, let me introduce Bruno Piggott. Again, he is the Indiana Department of Environmental Management, yeah. Assistant Commissioner for Office of water Quality bruno but i
3: like I like the phrase uh, the guy from Indiana that that 's good <laughs> enough for me i 'm okay with that title too um, I, I let let 's talk about the incident you were discussing. Um, that actually occurred in Anderson, Indiana, in the year two thousand. I just actually joined the agency at that on that year. It was just over christmas um, the There was a a small company that was a a company that provided parts to General Motors, um, and you know, General Motors has got uh, plants up up in that area, and it it was called the Guide Corporation, and they were coming to the end of the year, they were going to close down their thing... GM was saying, you know, we're going to take over this facility, but you've got to clean it out. And somebody poured—it wasn't battery acid, it, it was, but it was methyl ethyl death. It uh-huh. was bad stuff—into the waters, and it killed all the fish for miles downstream. Yeah. And, and you're right. It was a, a horrible um, incident. Um, to review the f- what, what happened afterward, we conducted an investigation of what happened there. We had to track down where this came from because it came out of the Guide Corporation into the Anderson treatment plant, and they actually came out of their pipe, so we had to track it back. We sent investigators out, we tracked it back. We found out who did it. We fined them fourteen million dollars oh. <throat> fourteen million dollars, oh. and you know what we use that money for? We use that money to repopulate fish to create <laughs> habitat. And and today, 12 years after that incident, I'm happy to report that that River has a greater diversity of species of fish than it, it has had since that. It, are you, are you it was a horrible. The White River. It, yes, that's that's the White River, and, and it was a horrible incident. But I, w- I would say that we have taken great pains to make sure that that kind of activity doesn't happen in the future, right. and that when it does at that level, we are all over it.
5: Okay, Do you monitor the smaller industries around Indy that. Uh, to make sure they don't dump stuff in the waterway, too? Is there some kind of... Do they go around and check like a restaurant inspector?
3: Yeah, Here's what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, small industries around Indianapolis, they, if they're, let's say, it was a little garage and they work yeah. on cars, yeah. it, it, they dump their stuff down a pipe. That pipe goes... Through a treatment process, they're required to treat that stuff before it goes into the Indianapolis wastewater system. Uh And they have to get a permit from us in order to do that. Uh And then they have to get a permit from Indianapolis. And then we have to make sure that the city of Indianapolis treats it okay. And then it's released. So we do very much keep track of what happens at those small mom-and-pop businesses as well as the big companies around Indianapolis and put requirements on them, and, and that's why I go back to earlier what I say, that we have substantially improved water quality in our waterways since the Clean Water Act was um, put in place. because it literally made these kind of requirements law. And, and so it is, I remember there's a rendering plant. Do you know what a rendering plant yeah. is? Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's a gross process. <laughs> they used to be right on the White River, right downtown where the White River State Park is mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. And people, I was not here then, but people tell me that if you walked behind the White River in those days, you could see the floating carcasses of animals down those waterways. We no longer are concerned about that kind of pollution. Today we met measure pollutants in nanograms per liter for mercury, and that's so absolutely tiny. We have made progress. We still face huge challenges. So the main
5: thing, if, if I caught a fish in the White River, would be the mercury contaminant.
3: That's correct, and those are real... Concerns. I'm not meaning to minimize those. And also, Fallon mentioned that you, you need to take a look at what we call our fish consumption advisories. It gives you really sound scientific advice about, okay, well, which kind of fish did I catch? Did I catch a bass? How often can I eat this? Depending on my body weight, whether I'm a pregnant woman, a young child, a really good guide that mm-hmm. everyone should have, case, especially if they like to recreationally and fish. And a website for that. Uh, you can go to the IDEM website. Uh, that's www.in.gov slash IDEM or to the State Department of Health website. And, and they both have it. And maybe you guys have it, too. I don't know. We do was. have
2: a link for it on our website, which is hecweb.org. Um I mean, just looking at the White River in particular, it it gets really challenging to know what's in the river as you are looking at it. You know, just at that one spot, um, IDEM puts out an integrated water report. Every two years, I believe it is. And part of that is the impaired waters list. And the impaired waters list tells us what the primary concerns are within each stretch of different rivers. Now, with some really long rivers, obviously, Mm -hmm. you know, there are going to be a lot of issues upstream that you don't have to deal with. But... I know that here in Monroe County, uh, the White River is impaired for mercury in the fish tissue and PCBs in the fish tissue. So make sure that you're checking your fish consumption advisories before you go fishing. And at other points along the White River, uh, there are also issues with nutrients, E. coli. Um, I'm not sure if the White River is impaired for algae at any point, but I know that there have been a couple of blooms in the last few years. So just keeping an eye on that, making sure that you know um, I mean, obviously, I would never recommend sticking your face in the White River and just drinking out of it without treatment, but making sure that you're going to be safe while you're on the river, as long as there's not any issues there. Great. Could I bring thanks,
5: up? Thanks for the uh, uh, web addresses. Thanks. Okay, and, right.
3: and, and I'd like to bring up one other yeah. thing. It, here in the city of Bloomington, um, and, and you raised the issue of are we doing enough on the enforcement side to yeah. ensure people actually do something to clean up their waters. Uh, the, the city of Bloomington for years has had an issue with sanitary sewer overflows. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and anybody who travels through Bloomington knows that it. Many of the roads sometimes are are, um, dug up, and part of what they're doing is fixing their sanitary sewers. And the reason they're doing that is that the Department of Environmental Management um, put them under what we call an enforcement action called an agreed order that forced them to expand their treatment plant, fix their pipes so that they didn't have sanitary sewer overflows, Mm -hmm. which uh, can be... um, Really nasty. Right now, I terms noticed
5: I on, on South Walnut where they're doing the new construction; they're putting in these huge underground uh, uh-huh. sewers. Yep. Yeah. 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 Great. Thanks, guys.
0: Thanks, okay. Bruno. Uh, do you feel comfortable saying that we that there is nobody with a pipe that backs up or or drains directly into, let's just say, I don't know, the Wabash or any of our our state rivers? Nobody's direct dumping anymore without some kind of um, Something between them and the river.
3: No. I I, I don't feel <laughs> okay. comfortable saying well, that. I'm sorry to hear that. that. <laughs> but, but, but what I will say is the biggest contributors to um, discharges of wastewater to our our waterways, whether it's the Wabash or the White or whatever, or the Ohio, those guys have permits that limit the amount of pollutants that they can put in it. Now, I- I- if there's a person who has a septic tank and they just don't know a lot about septic tanks or they have a straight pipe that discharges... It's possible we don't know about it. County health departments go out and they regulate the putting in um, of septic tanks. Fields, yeah, yeah. Septic fields, and, yeah, And oftentimes, residents who have a septic tank may not know that their septic system isn't working until their toilet bags up. Oh, um, so am I comfortable saying that there is not a pipe in the state that isn't being regulated properly? No, I, I wouldn't make those kind of claims. But I will say that uh, the... the The process of treating our wastewater in cities and even small towns and mobile home parks is better than it's ever been. But we still have challenges there, too. Our small mobile home parks, they put in a system, but they don't have a lot of money. And maybe they don't devote enough money to making sure they work right. Um, Mm -hmm. So even though they've got a treatment system in place, it's outdated and, and it's violating. And that's where we come in. It is our department to go and follow up and put them under an enforcement order to clean up their mess. Mm -hmm. It does happen.
1: We have a little bit less than 10 minutes to go. Our phone numbers again are 855-0811. 877-285-9348. 877-285-9348. The web address is wfiu.org slash noon edition. I wanted to go back. You were talking about the uh, impairment or- order, the, the impaired rivers and waterways. Uh, there was a story a couple weeks ago in the Indianapolis Star talking about a, a draft report about to be submitted to the US EPA. Is that the report you're talking about? I, so there were 1,000, nearly 1,000 stretches of Indiana streams, rivers, and lakes?
3: That's correct. Okay. We're required by the Clean Water Act to put together a list of waters that we call impaired, mm-hmm. that, that is that they have pollutants in certain levels that exceed our water quality standards.
1: I think that, that gives people uh, maybe a more sense of the, uh, the the breadth of the problem that there are 1,000 of these locations throughout the state that are impaired.
3: Well, Well, there's a couple... Um, issues with putting together such a list one one issue is we have to get out and monitor those streams which we do Um, we haven't monitored all the streams so every year that we go out and and pick out more we find that there are streams that are polluted have been for a while so the long list isn't I would argue, not an indicator that our our waterways are getting worse. It, in fact, is letting us know that we know more and more about our waterways, and we certainly have challenges, mm-hmm. and there are segments that are impaired, and, and that's our job is to figure out where they are, because the next step is then saying to ourselves, so... What's causing those waters to be polluted? And then and, and we do a report that, that outlines that. But then finally um, to do something about it, whether it's putting more stringent limits on pollutants or doing funding to help local watershed groups uh, put in projects that help reduce water pollution.
1: Okay. We have a call from Brown County, and it's Jake. Jake. Go ahead, Jake.
6: Yeah. Yeah. Uh...
1: Relative to the man who just talked about the uh, stuff that was dumped in the water about Anderson, uh, Nashville, fairly recently, in one of the primary creeks, Greasy Creek, that stops at, or runs under Old 46, uh, a county employee dumped, uh, something in there that took time and thousands and thousands, $40,000 or more to, uh, to get it out of the water. And I wonder if this gentleman that uh, regarded the other, that checks on that, is aware of that, and what he has to say about it, please. I'll, I'll leave that to you. All right, Jake, thanks. So, I, I wish the world
3: were a perfect place. It's not. And, and these kinds of things happen Uh, They happen in Nashville. They happen all over the state where either by accident or on purpose, and and most of the time it's not on purpose, but somebody ends up dumping some stuff into rivers, creeks, and streams. When that kind of thing happens, like it did in Nashville, we send out what we call emergency responders, and they go out to the incident, to the site, and they help with the cleanup. And if the person isn't around to clean it up, we clean it up. Um, We spend state money to make sure that those waterways are cleaned up immediately. And if they are around, we will tell the person that they have to clean it up immediately, or we will do it and we'll charge them for it. Mm -hmm. So it, it does happen. Um, we're in 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 there are events that cause fish to die because of it Um, but we're um, sending our emergency responders out when those incidents are reported to us and and they are you'd be surprised at the amount of times that the public has taken such a great interest that they say hey this is looking really bad i see dead fish here Mm -hmm. and and we go out and and clean it up
1: Hmm. okay we've got just three or four minutes to go you have a Okay, we're going go to go back to the phones yeah. real quick. Steve, if you could keep your yes, question hi. quick. Thank you.
5: Yes, Hi, this is Steve. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a quick question in a rural situation where you have a single family dwelling that's not using a septic system. Uh, I know of at least one, maybe a couple. Um, who's the proper, uh, what's the proper chain to, to contact to try to get that situation uh, attended to so that they, they put their sewage into a proper uh, septic system? What are we talking outhouse here? No, we're talking about somebody who actually runs a pipe out of the house down the hill and just lets it go into a ravine.
3: Uh, Okay. Bruno? I'd say the first step is to call your county health department. The county health department can send out people who can... Um, follow up on that. And, and, and then the State Department of Health regulates any discharges from septics or mound systems that do that same thing. In fact, the only place where it's really legal to have such a device is in Allen County, where there are specific requirements for any individuals that have direct discharges to waters. Um, but that, that's a good place to start, county health departments.
1: Okay, Thank you, Steve. Thanks a lot. Let's go to Barbara very quickly. Barbara? Barbara?
6: Hi. Hi. In applying for a septic permit, uh, the form that I was filling out asked me if I was in a watershed. It didn't ask what watershed. It just asked if I was in a watershed, which uh, was a little taken aback by that. Um, I think it would be mm-hmm. helpful to require people to know what watershed they're in, and so perhaps they would uh, be more aware.
3: What county do you live in? Monroe. Monroe. Okay. Oh boy. I mean, that, that is definitely an issue for the uh, Monroe, Monroe County Department of Health uh, to identify which w- watershed as opposed to, are you in a, wa- everybody's in a watershed. Yeah. That, that's, uh, exactly. right.
6: yeah. Okay. I think what they want to know was if I was in the Monroe Lake watershed. But the question on the form just says, are you in a watershed? Uh-huh. I
4: know there was some information that was sent out in that type of material that was kind of a, a gauge of public knowledge. So it could be that type of situation if it was around other questions, maybe about the information you have already about watersheds, just to help educators give you more information and some place to start, so maybe they were asking if you knew what a watershed oh, no, was. No, they weren't. Oh, okay.
6: I, I had to clarify that. Oh, so, okay. no. I know that uh, most high school students are well aware what a watershed is, and I think that our county can ask questions about what watershed you are in, and then people would be more aware.
1: Okay, Barbara, thank you very much. Thank I wanna, you, uh, Fallon. We only have thirty seconds to go, but okay, is, is there one or two, are there one or two issues? that are highest priorities in terms of water for the Hoosier Environmental Council?
2: Oh, boy. Just
7: Um, just
1: name one.
2: Sure. Uh, We really look at everything from nutrients and algae growth to uh, coal burning to coal ash. So if you want more information, I'll just say visit our website. There's no way that I can explain it all in this time.
1: Yeah, that was a trick question. All right. Hey, we're out of time. I want to thank uh, our guests, uh, Bruno Piggott and Fallon French and Elizabeth Tompkins. Thank you all for being here with us today. For Mary Catherine Carmichael, producer Gretchen Frazee and Julie Ra, and engineer Mike Pashkash I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening.
5: Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org.
1: online at mypremierortho.com